Allow me to introduce myself. Boris Bedenov at your service. It's also possible for a lawyer to be just plain stupid, isn't it? I mean, it's possible. Shut up, dummy. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about television again, one of my favorite subjects. Between TV, movies, video games, and music, yeah, I've got a lot of interests, what can I tell you? And TV has been one of the biggest all of my life. I don't want to say that TV was my babysitter when I was a kid because my mom was around all the time, but boy, I did spend a lot of time watching TV. Still do. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I know opinions vary, but I've always loved watching TV. One of the things that I've seen change over the years, which is what we're going to talk about today, is things that we used to take for granted, it was just a part of everyday life, featured in a lot of TV shows, that just don't make sense anymore, or don't apply anymore, or were changed over the years because society changed. So I'm going to talk about a few of those things today. And then after that, I'm going to share with you some more TV theme songs that I just love. I've got a small sample of some TV theme songs that I just remember vividly for various reasons. And so, as usual, what I usually do with these is I do a little name that tune kind of thing for you. I intro the song, give you a few bars of it, and then talk a little about the show and what it meant to me or how it affected my life or just what I remember about the show. So that's what we're doing. First up, some of the stuff from TV shows that were just a fixture in the TV shows and that as I watch today, I go, yeah, yeah, that was normal. And then I watch it and I realize there's a lot that the younger generations just don't understand or won't appreciate or it will make no sense to them because it's not part of their everyday lives. One of these things is phone booths. Now, if you watch old TV shows, old movies too, but we're going to focus on TV shows today. If you watch old TV shows, there were a lot of phone booths everywhere. And that's because in our world, for a long period of time, there were phone booths everywhere. You'd go to the bus station, the airport, you'd be in the shopping mall, you'd be walking along the street, you'd go to a gas station, you'd be in a bar, you'd be in a restaurant. Every single place seemed to have a payphone. And that's because a lot of times you'd need one to call a cab, to call for a ride, to check in with your office, to make a plane reservation on the fly. There were so many reasons that you needed a payphone, and they were everywhere. And of course, if you were a superhero, needed to jump into a place to change your clothes, you needed a phone booth. Everybody knew that. Superman had a place to change. And you know, a lot of plot points turned on phone booths. So many TV shows had the detective have to take a call at a phone booth. And I can't tell you how many times I saw the plot device where the bad guy would call the detective and he'd tell him to pick up the phone at the corner of First and Maple. And he'd pick up the phone and the guy on the phone would say, okay, now you have 37 seconds to get to First and Elm and hang up the phone and he'd run down the street and you'd hear the payphone ringing down the street. Okay, now you've got three minutes to get to Third Street and Main. And the whole point was to make sure the cop wasn't being followed, to build the suspense, to have it be dramatic. Somebody would pick up the phone they're not supposed to pick up. Because as you're walking along the street in real life, if you heard a payphone ringing, there would be a lot of times you'd go pick it up. I did that. Sometimes it would be a random stranger. Sometimes it would be a wrong number. But yeah, you'd hear a payphone ringing on the street and you'd pick it up. Because you could get calls back at payphones. If you were staying on a corner, you could tell somebody, call me at such and such a number and they'd call you right back. One of the reasons you would do that is so you didn't have to pay for the call. Because that's one of the things about a payphone or a phone booth is when you were initiating the call, you'd have to have coins in your pocket to make a phone call. 
And I remember the times I had stacks of quarters to make calls from a street corner. I've told the story about the days that I was driving a limo. Back in those days, which is pre-cell phone, nobody had cell phones in those days. Cell phones were not a thing. We had beepers, which I'm going to talk about in just a couple minutes. But when somebody contacted me on my beeper, I would have to find a payphone to call them. And in order to call them, I would either need a credit card or a calling card, which is no longer a thing either. Well, actually less of a thing. Or a stack of quarters so I could start the call. Because what would happen is you'd go into the telephone booth, you'd pick up the phone, you'd need a dime back in the early days, it became a quarter in later years. You'd pop the quarter in the slot, you'd dial your phone number, and then an operator would come on the line, a live operator, not a computer. An actual person would come on the line and say something like, that'll be $1.75 for the first three minutes. And you'd have to have seven quarters ready to go. And that would be just for the first three minutes. And then they'd interrupt your call and say, that'll be another dollar for another three minutes. So you needed to have coins ready to talk on the phone. You could also put it on a calling card if you applied to AT&T, which was the big carrier at the time, the only carrier at the time. You'd have an AT&T calling card and you'd put in your number and then you would get a bill from AT&T for all of your phone calls. Or you could put it on a regular credit card if you happen to have one of those. The other thing you could do is you could make something called a collect call. We don't get many of those anymore these days either, do we? A collect call, reverse the charges, sometimes person to person. These were all fancy ways to make calls without having to actually pay for them yourself. A collect call would reverse the charges, which means when you got the operator on the phone, you would say, I'm making a collect call to this number. So then the operator would get the person on the line at the other end. And again, we're talking a live human being, an actual person, would ring the phone number you were calling, and they wouldn't let you speak, but the operator would say, I have a collect call from GamerDude. Will you accept the charges? And you would hope that the person would accept the charges. That means you didn't have to have quarters, you didn't have to have a credit card, the person at the other end would get the bill on their phone. Now, this wasn't cheap, but if you were stuck and you needed to make a call, you made a collect call. I didn't do much running from corner to corner like a police detective trying to save a hostage, but I used a lot of payphones and a lot of phone booths in my life. And when you see them pop up in old TV shows, it wasn't just a plot device, it was a legitimate thing. There were phone booths everywhere, and you could do stuff like that. By the way, as an aside, people say that cell phones put phone booths out of business. Partially true, but if you're at all interested in the history of payphones and phone booths, you'll find that they were legislated out of business by certain cities and certain politicians because payphones were often associated with crime. You know, the drug dealer on the corner would have his payphone as his office. You could call him there and reach him at his payphone. So they passed all kind of legislation to keep him out of bars and out of laundromats, out of gas stations, out of rest areas, places where people thought that crime would fester. Yeah, if you want to look that up, you can see that this anti-crime legislation was as much responsible for the demise of phone booths as the cell phone. But I don't want to go off on a tangent here, so we'll just move along. Another thing that was prevalent everywhere, answering machines. Now, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as caller ID. There was no such thing as an answering machine. If people called your house and you weren't home, the phone rang and rang and rang and rang. We actually had a rule. We were taught this in school. Let the phone ring 10 times. That usually takes 60 seconds. At least that's the way it used to be. That gives somebody a minute to get to the phone. Because a lot of people had one phone in their house. They didn't have multiple extensions. They had one phone, usually in the kitchen. And if you were at the back of the house, you had to sprint for the phone to get it. So that's why we were taught, let the phone ring 10 times. 
Somewhere in the 70s, someone introduced the answering machine. They invented the answering machine. And at the time, it was a dual cassette answering machine. What would happen is your phone would ring. This machine would pick it up. The first cassette would have your outgoing message. Hi, I'm Gamer Dude. Not home right now. Leave your name, number, and I'll get back to you. And then when that message played, the second cassette would start and would record whatever anybody said. And that's how people would leave messages. But answering machines were not cheap. You had to be, like, fairly well-to-do or a business who wanted to not miss a call in order to afford those early answering machines and make it worth your while. Now, one of my favorite TV programs, The Rockford Files, every single episode started with Jim Rockford's answering machine. Hi, this is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and number and I'll get back to you. Basically, that was the message. Every episode. And the little cool thing they did with every episode, they had somebody else leaving a message. It was kind of a neat thing. Okay, Mr. Rockford, we're not going to call you again. Do you want these free dance lessons or what? But Rockford had an answering machine. It was featured prominently in every episode. And you see it in TV episodes all the time. People coming home, picking up a message or missing a message, or somebody unplugging the answering machine or erasing a tape. Answering machines, when they first came out, were important parts of plots and something that we all wanted. Oh, I wish I had something to answer my phone. Now we all have voicemail on every phone. It's built into whatever phone system we have. It's built into whatever wireless plan we have. The answering machine plot device is no more. But when you see them come up in TV shows from the 70s and the 80s, it was a huge thing and quite innovative for us. Another huge thing, pagers or beepers. I always called them beepers. A lot of people called them pagers. I called them beepers, and a lot of people did. Because it was a little electronic device that you'd attach to your belt or put in your pocket. It had its own phone number, or you could forward your phone number to it. And if somebody called your number, it would beep. It was a very high-pitched beep, so you could hear it in a noisy room, a crowded airport terminal, a quiet office. You could hear that beep. Now, the early beepers didn't even have a little screen on them. It would just beep, and you would know enough to call your office or your home or whoever had your beeper number and see if somebody was looking for you. As the technology advanced, they included a little screen that would show the number that was calling you. So then what you would have to do, if you were on the road somewhere, at a bus station, at the airport, at a gas station, at a bar, you would have to find a payphone or a phone booth and call the number to find out who was looking for you. Because the pagers usually didn't have a way to give messages to you. It would just give you the number that was calling you. There was a way to give messages, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But those early pagers would just show you the number that was calling you, and you'd have to call back and say, Hi, you just called? And mixed up pagers, picking up somebody's pager by mistake, often a big plot point in TV shows back in the 80s and the 90s. For instance, The West Wing, one of the major plot points in the first season, involved Rob Lowe's character getting his pager mixed up with that of a high-priced call girl. I know, spoilers. But that could happen. Motorola made most of the pagers at the time, and they often looked the same, so they could very easily get mixed up. And pagers were important for people who were always on the road. Traveling salesmen, limo drivers, doctors. But as the price of pagers went down, more people had pagers. Sometimes they were a bit of a status symbol. Well, I'm so important, I need a pager. And sometimes you had a legitimate use for it. If your wife was pregnant, you were on the road a lot, 
you would get a pager so she'd always have a number to get a hold of you. And you would develop a code because eventually the screens became advanced enough so that you could send a little digital message with your phone number. So, for instance, you could enter in 911 if it was an emergency. I need to talk to you right away. It's an emergency. And, of course, anybody who's ever had an electronic calculator knows that you could actually punch in numbers that look like letters if you turn the calculator upside down. For instance, 07734, if you punch those numbers in, turn it upside down, looks like the word hello. But all the codes weren't like that. You could have the code 143. This code is actually a plot point in several TV shows. 143 meant I love you. Why? Well, I is one letter. Love is four letters. U is three letters. So 143, I love you. Same thing with 477. Best friends forever. Best four friends seven forever seven. But yeah, there were all little codes you could send to anybody if you understood how the numbers worked or if you had it worked out beforehand. But pagers, we don't use them anymore. You can't even get pager service anymore. Now, pagers also, just like payphones, were often associated with drug dealers and criminal activity because in the early days, drug dealers would use those. You could page your drug dealer with the number of the payphone you were at and your drug dealer would meet you at First and Maple. Obviously, they weren't limited to drug dealers, but it was another useful tool. Now, another thing from TV shows when I was growing up, there were no bathrooms. There were no toilets. Well, I shouldn't say there were none. It's just we didn't talk about them. Going to the bathroom and talking about it? Very bad taste. Oh, yeah, when I was growing up? Oh, it was distasteful. We don't talk about the bathroom. Heaven forbid. You couldn't even say bathroom, let alone toilet, on TV. They used the euphemism water closet, abbreviated as WC, when they wanted to convey the idea that there was a bathroom involved. But oh no, talking about the bathroom? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't do that. I know, America was very prudish, still is in a lot of ways. I mean, it was so bad. This goes back to 1960, when a guy named Jack Parr hosted The Tonight Show. This is before Johnny Carson. Jack Parr told a joke on The Tonight Show, where he used the abbreviation WC. He didn't even say water closet. He said WC. They censored the joke on him, and it pissed him off so much he walked off the show. But the censors thought that WC was too distasteful, so they censored him. WC was too distasteful. But if you look back at the old TV shows, the first TV show to feature just the top of a toilet was Leave it to Beaver. They didn't actually show the bowl, the business end of the toilet. They did show the top of the toilet so that we knew that the Cleaver family actually did have a toilet in their bathroom. But that was the biggest step forward, the fact that they showed the top of the tank. And that was 1957. Bathrooms had been around for a while by then, but we didn't talk about them. And in the 70s, All in the Family was the first show that had the sound of a flushing toilet, which was shocking at the time. And people were in an uproar about the fact that Archie Bunker flushed the toilet. I mean, we all know what a toilet sounds like when it flushes. Everybody knows. But it's bad taste to talk about it. I'm pretty sure everybody's gone to the bathroom for the entire history of humankind and we all know what it involves. But apparently we didn't talk about it until the 70s. But when you watch those old TV shows, take a look around. You don't see anybody talk about the bathroom. Not until the 70s. Lucy, Ricky, never went to the bathroom. Andy Griffith, never went to the bathroom. Gomer Pyle, never went to the bathroom. Or at least we didn't talk about it. The other thing we didn't talk about, married couples in bed together. Oh yeah, if you look at some of the old TV shows, it wasn't until Bewitched, which was late 60s, 
that you actually saw a married couple with kids share a bed. There was no real rule against it. It was just the prudishness of America. Back in the 30s, the movies had something called the Hayes Code. And even the Hayes Code didn't forbid married couples in bed together. They just frowned upon it. The Hayes Code forbid nudity. The Hayes Code came out in the 30s, by the way, just so you know. But what the Hayes Code said for the movies was, be careful when there was a man and woman in bed together. So rather than having to be careful, the movies just didn't put a man and woman in bed together. And when television came around in the 1950s, they just kept that same philosophy and didn't put a man and woman in bed together, even if they were married. One of the most glaring examples of this is probably Ricky and Lucy, back from the I Love Lucy show. You would go into Ricky and Lucy's bedroom, and they had twin beds. Not only did they have twin beds, those twin beds were separated by a nightstand. So we didn't even want to think about the possibility that they put those beds together at some point, so that little Ricky would eventually become somebody. It was best left to our imagination how that would have happened. But yeah, married couples throughout the 50s, the 60s, they didn't share beds. It just didn't happen. We were very prudish. It was just one of the things that we grew up with. Nowadays, can you imagine that? I don't think people buy twin beds at all anymore. I don't even think kids have twin beds. Kids have full-size, queen-size, king-size. Married couples, you can see trapezes in the bedroom now, if you watch the right shows. It's a far cry from the days when Lucy and Ricky had to sleep in separate beds, let me tell you. We were very prudish in this country. In a lot of ways, we've advanced. In a lot of ways, not so much. But that's why you don't see married couples in bed together back in the 50s. All right, so there's some, I guess we could call them anachronisms from the old days of television that just don't hold up anymore. I promised you some TV themes. I'm going to deliver. The first one is by no means the only one like this. But if you're like me, as soon as you hear it, you perk right up. This was the theme song to the NBC Nightly News. It wasn't the only theme song. This is just the one that stuck in my head. Anytime you heard that initial intro, oh, something's happening. They used the same kind of drum beat when there was a special report. But every night when the news started, oh my God, news is ready. Okay, let's pay attention. What's happening in the world? Because back in the day, you'd watch the national news because there was no other source. You didn't have the internet. You could read the newspaper, but the breaking news happened at 6.30 every night. And so you'd watch NBC Nightly News, and this would be the intro. Now, this next one was the intro for if you wanted the in-depth reporting. They introduced Dateline, and there's other shows like it, 60 Minutes, 2020. They don't have necessarily the most memorable music. Dateline had great music, so that's why I'm including it here. But these were the investigative shows. They dig into a mystery, peel back the layers, tell it as a dramatic tale. The Dateline theme always piqued my interest, too, because A, it was really good music, and B, it was always an interesting show. So I always watched Dateline. Now, this next one was more of the bubblegum for the mind type of show. If I wanted to get my information about my celebrities, or the latest movies, or the latest TV shows, this would be the theme I'd hear. Yeah, Access Hollywood is a big source. Access Hollywood is still on. They've gone through about a million hosts, and the type of information you get from Access Hollywood is very different these days than it used to be. Again, before the internet, 
Before social media, if you wanted breaking news on your celebrities or the latest movie or the latest TV show, you had to watch Access Hollywood. Now, these next couple of themes are from the dramatic shows that made you think or gave you action or gave you adventure. Now, this first one is a very iconic theme for people of a certain age. You may not recognize this, but folks who used to watch this show and know who this relates to will get it in the first five seconds. This is the theme to the Alfred Hitchcock show. Alfred Hitchcock did an anthology series with a variety of stars, a variety of stories, always some kind of murder mystery, some kind of thriller. He introed and outroed every episode, didn't actually star in any of them, but he had some really great stories. Now, I didn't watch Alfred Hitchcock when it came out because it came out before I was born. But I've caught Alfred Hitchcock in syndication over the years, and it's currently now on MeTV. And if you watch it, there's some really interesting stories, really well told. Now, I also know this was in syndication when I was a kid because I remember the theme song. And my mother always told me, well, that's Alfred Hitchcock's theme. So that's all I ever knew it as, Alfred Hitchcock's theme. This next one, a police drama that's been around since radio days. Even before it was a TV series, it was a radio drama. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. And this is another one I remember watching in syndication. And the thing that was cool about this one is all of the stories are true. Oh, the Dragnet theme. Man, oh man, was that powerful. You knew something serious was going to go down in Dragnet. Sergeant Joe Friday? Oh, you didn't mess with Friday. No. And this also playing on MeTV these days. If you go back and look at some of the episodes, the acting is so stiff and the line reading is so stilted. But that was the style back then. But the theme song? Oh man, you knew you were in for a serious police drama when that one started. Now this next one, another police drama. I haven't seen this one in years, but I remember it. This is Ironside. Now Chief Ironside was confined to a wheelchair. I never watched this one regularly, but I watched it enough to know, wow, this is some serious stuff. And this theme song, super memorable. Another super memorable police theme song, this one. This is from Police Woman, which starred Angie Dickinson. Now, you have to remember back in the 60s and the 70s, women on the police force, not a regular thing. Women as detectives, women in charge of precincts, it just didn't happen. So Police Woman was really one of the first female-led series that involved a woman police officer. And I remember my dad liked Angie Dickinson, so we watched this one. I don't remember any of the plots, but I sure do remember the theme. Now, TV when I was growing up wasn't all serious stuff. It wasn't all police dramas and news shows. 
We had our favorite sitcoms, too, and I've talked about them in the past. But here's a couple theme songs that I remember from those days, too, either from syndication or watching them when they were brand new. You know me and my sense of humor. I always loved the funny stuff. And to me, this was one of the funniest shows out there. Don Adams as Maxwell Smart was just such a good TV show. They made a movie based on the show, and Steve Carell played Maxwell Smart, which he did a good job at. And the movie is great. If you've never seen it, I recommend it. But the original TV show, so tongue-in-cheek, so many puns, so much stupid stuff, it just entertained me. I haven't seen this in ages, but I loved Get Smart. This was one of the many shows on in the afternoons when I got home from school. Between Bugs Bunny and the Munsters and the Adams Family, you'd get Get Smart every once in a while. Yeah, some good stuff in the afternoons when I was growing up. Now, here's another memorable theme song. Boy, oh boy, this one, I know to a lot of you, you hear the first couple of notes and you're going to go, oh yeah, of course. Sanford and Son was good. Red Fox, who was actually a very off-color, very funny stand-up comedian, was really good as Fred Sanford. And not everybody loved Sanford and Son, but I did. I thought it was funny. I didn't get all the jokes. I was a little kid when this was on. But the music, the music helped make it memorable for me. Last, but certainly not least on my list, one of my favorite shows from syndication. I was so in love with Barbara Eden as Jeannie. This would also be on in the afternoons when I was home from school. And boy, oh boy, did I like watching I Dream of Jeannie. It was all about the space program, of course. That's what I was most interested in, the trips to the moon, Major Nelson, Major Healy. That was, of course, my focus. It had nothing to do with a beautiful woman in the harem outfit. No siree. I did not watch it for that reason. I wanted to see if Major Nelson was going to get to the moon. That's what I watched it for. Now, I Dream of Genie is really kind of a dopey show when you think about it. But when I was a kid, I didn't think about it. I just enjoyed watching it. It was fun for me. Yeah, that's it. It was fun for me. And that's why I enjoyed it. So there you have it. Some anachronisms from television back in the day. And some more memorable TV themes. They all bring back memories to me. And I hope they brought back memories for you too. As I've always said, good music can make things memorable even if it's not necessarily the best quality stuff, like I Dream of Genie. I mean, let's be honest, there was some really stupid plots in I Dream of Genie. I mean, the whole premise of the show, really kind of stupid. An astronaut finds a genie in a bottle on an isolated tropical island. I mean, really? But it was fun watching when I was a kid. And it was the height of television when it was on brand new back in the 60s. And as for the other stuff we talked about, maybe now, when you see a guy running for a phone booth, when you don't see a bathroom, you'll understand why. And if you watch something like All in the Family, you'll appreciate the toilet flush sound effect, which was so outrageous at the time. And now we go, yeah, okay, so he flushed the toilet. Anyway, 
That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of things. As always, I can't thank you enough for all your support and all the time you spend hanging out with me. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.